0: Welcome to The Text Lab. My name is Michael, and we got Ryan here with us. Hey, Michael. We are so excited to jump into The Text today on The Text Lab. We do a deep dive in The Text to help you prepare for life groups this week. Our goal is to help you to make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep diving on your own, we hope The Text Lab helps you to have meaningful conversations about what God has said in His Word. This week is John 22 through 36. Let's get into it. John 3, through
1: 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son
0: shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Sound familiar, anybody? This text is very connected to what we just read in John 3, 1 through 21. It's very similar to the same ending that we see in 16 through 21, where John interprets the conversation with Nicodemus. Here, John the author is interpreting a conversation between John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and some Jewish leaders and John the Baptist himself. So a quick reminder, who is John the Baptist? He is a witness, right? He came to make straight the way of the Lord. He came to get the thing started, this idea of repentance and being baptized as a sign of your repentance and the fact that everybody's on the hook when it comes to repentance. So that was his job. And what he's identifying here in this text is, hey, my job's kind of over. Like, I, I, I did my thing. I came to make the way straight for Jesus. And so it's important that we know who John is and why he's doing what he's doing. There's a couple more things you should know, though, as you get into this text.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you'd say these themes are continuing to repeat over and over again, like there's maybe braids of meaning Ooh, or like layers and layers of meaning. And, and again, this is connected to what we've talked about before when Jesus interacts with Nicodemus and what we looked at last week, um, talking about really religi- the religious center. Of the community. And we know that because one of the details that John the author talks about as there's a, this discussion that happens, the followers of John the Baptist, and I want to be clear, just don't get confused in these passages, John the Baptist versus John the author, two different Johns. But here's John the Baptist followers, they get into a discussion with this Jew, who really is a representation of that religious center, um, about the rite of purification. Interestingly enough, that word purification is the same word that was described in. Uh, the Wedding at Canaan narratives about the jars of purification. So it's this ritual rite of cleansing that we talked about um, in previous uh, uh, podcasts that was going on. And we don't know what that conversation content was. Who knows what they talked about? Uh, but what we do know is that the followers of John the Baptist come and have a concern about more people are going to Jesus, so that must mean something about our ministry here. So we, I bet you what was going on with the content of that conversation with the Jews is that they were basically saying, Maybe your ministry is not doing what it's supposed to anymore because yeah. obviously more people are going over to Jesus. So maybe you should talk to John the Baptist about that. And so John the Baptist followers have a serious concern about more people are going to Jesus. So are we not doing what we're supposed to be doing here? Um, it's really reflecting on almost this idea of the size of your influencing uh, influence recon- reflecting your righteousness, um, which is a very Pharisaic idea. That's what the Pharisees believed. Look in other parts of the Gospels, like in Matthew. The Pharisees would would laud what they were doing. They Mm -hmm. would make their uh, prayers amongst all the people. They would fast so that everybody knew what was going on. The more followers the Pharisees had, the more popular and the more successful they were considered. Mm -hmm. And that's the tension growing here. Um, The thought would be the more righteous you were, the more people that wanted to follow you, the more you would bring
0: popularity, the more righteous you would be. Yeah, it kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, well, you kind of think in our day, a lot of people base uh, whether or not something's correct off of how many people believe it or off of how many people are following it. And so exactly. it's kind of a human issue on many levels, but absolutely an issue that was going on then. A couple more details you're going to want to be aware of is this theme and this concept of the bride groom and the best man. My, uh, My brother's getting married in a few weeks, and I have the privilege of being his best man. And what's cool about that is my job is really to be there to like celebrate him and his wife. I'm there to be there to have his back, to just stand there and witness what's happening. John likens his purpose to a best man. He's saying, hey, my job is not to marry the bride. My job isn't to call the bride. That's the bridegroom's job. That's the groom. So they get up, and they're going to call out the bride to be married. That was kind of how those wedding uh, rituals went during that time. They would call them out. And so Jesus, as the groom, is here to call forward the bride, which is the church, which is an idea that had likely been developed for John and his audience at this point. Um, And so that's kind of where they're going with that analogy. He's excited because, you know what? It's really Jesus's day, um, not John's day.
1: Yeah, and you really got to see that stark contrast in in the roles here. The Pharisees were trying to put themselves uh, forward, which is what a groom would do, right? Like, this is about me, this is my day. Um, And here John's taking a very different contrasting role of being the side person.
0: You probably don't want to overtake your brother's day, I'm assuming. Yeah, not at all. I mean, and the funny (laughs) thing is, is even for their day, there were way less bridezillas than there were groomzillas, right? (laughs) Like, it was way more about them and what they were doing, in the same way that here it's about Jesus and him calling out. Uh, the bridegroom, and then uh, Ryan, what what's kind of the last thing we should be aware of in uh, in this text? Well,
1: what's going on in uh, verses 31 through 36 is very much the same issue that we talked about in uh, 16 verses 21, and yeah. it's it's really a shift of voice. Uh, we had this discussion in this narrative between John the Baptist and his disciples, and now John, the author of the book, who's a different John, uh, he's going to provide his commentary of what's going on here, and it's the words of John the Baptist should sound familiar to you, mm-hmm. almost repetitive, because yeah. he is emphasizing emphasizing really the theme of the whole section of chapter three, not just uh, these verses 31 through 36. Believe in the Son and have eternal life. Believe uh, in John the Baptist as well, that there's really no no comparison of Jesus and John the Baptist. Uh, It's really rich in content, really uh, flows with the whole book. And this really hits a theme with the Bible uh, that you can take the Bible at face value, mm-hmm. or you can understand that the Bible is really just this rich, deep text. And to me, I really think almost of it dep- whatever you love, but I know people who like really love coffee. Yeah. Right? Me included. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially in these days when we're just overwhelmed and stressed, coffee yeah. seems to be like one thing that we can go Life to. Blood. Yep. <laughs> and you know, there's two different types of coffee lovers out there. There's coffee lovers who just take coffee at face value and what it does for them. Just drink a cup of coffee because it wakes me up. uh, And I just go to my coffee maker in the morning and I don't really think about the coffee. And then there are people who love coffee and understand coffee and the rich nuances, the different flavor profiles, the rich earthiness. I I've talked to people like that. I, I don't even talk the same way, but they understand that coffee is this this complex, rich, deep thing. Uh, that's the Bible. You can take it at face value, or you can understand that there are so many layers and rich nuances, so many different flavors going on, and John is an awesome book to realize that and what he's doing here.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm continually impressed by the way John wrote this gospel and and like even just the the way that he's able to weave through these themes. And so that's really where we're trying to get when we talk about like being a self-feeder and and what the kind of the point of, you know, quote unquote Bible study is. Like what we're trying to do is to really enjoy the nuance and the beauty of what it is that God's given us in the gospel and how intentional he was in every single word, every single line. And we want that for everyone. We want that for every one of you live group leaders, every person in your life group, every person who attends on a Sunday, to see just the richness of what it is that God um, has done in His Word. So... That being said, a lot of background stuff that should hopefully give you some of the nuance. Think of us as your coffee guides, just pointing <laughs> out. That's a little bit of earthy flavor there. Oh, that, that's, that's a little bit of Cherry undertones. Hey. Oh, some cherry, yeah, that's good. Cheery <laughs> undertones. So that's what we're trying to do here for you guys with the background. And as you move into some guiding questions, we have our favorite narrative questions that we're always going to ask, right? What happened? Why here? What does John want us to know, feel, or do? And uh, just a tip for you guys as you're asking some of those summary questions, is 31 through 36, like Ryan said, is gonna be really important for interpreting this passage. Um, I love it when I'm reading the Bible and it interprets itself for us. This would be one of them. The author, John the Evangelist, writes that section as an interpretation of the exchange between, uh, you know, John the Baptist and his disciples. So be sure to go, to go there for what it is that John wants us to take away, what Jesus wants us to know about himself. What are some other questions, um, Ryan, as we kind of like try to guide people through the text?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you should naturally see the tension between uh, the Jewish community uh, that was Being represented here in Jesus. And so, what look through the text and ask yourself, what are John's disciples saying in terms of measuring success? That's good. And then contrast that with John's response and how he measures success. That's John the Baptist's response and how he measures success. And on top of that, I think a a question that's going to lead from that is, why is John happy actually that Jesus is gaining a greater following? Because in contrast, it's The Jewish community would say that that would be a negative, but John's happy about it. So compare and contrast those ideas. I think that's really important. And I think another question, talking about rich, nuanced, cherry flavors here, uh, John the Baptist actually answers in an analogy, and there are actually three characters in this analogy, the bride, the groom, and then this friend of the groom who stands with him. Put these people in those roles. Who's John in that analogy? Mm. Who's Jesus in that analogy? And then who's the bride in that analogy? And that kind of leads you to some of the answers, but, you know, put those people in those places. And then can you think of anywhere else in this analogy of groom and his bride? Is there anywhere else in the Bible that's been used? And hint, 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 especially in the Old Testament. So... And when you get there, then really ask yourself the question in the Old Testament, they use the bridegroom analogy um and Jesus has put himself in as in a role there John yeah. the author put Jesus in a role um so what is Jesus actually saying about himself? what is John saying Jesus is saying about himself
0: yeah and and wherever we take from that, I think it it helps us understand yeah where to where we place Jesus right and why he's He's uh, number one, why He belongs on the throne of our heart. That's, that's super helpful. And then a final kind of guiding question as you're walking through um, would be to unpack verses 31 through 36 with your group. So you might try to trace the logic and flow of 31 through 36, asking questions like, what is the author saying about Jesus? How is this similar to John 3, 16 through 21, and what does John want us to know about Jesus in 31 through 36, and then finally something like, hey, how does this contribute to your understanding of belief so far in John? That's the John 20, 31, right? These are written, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So how does this contribute to that primary concept of belief that's woven throughout this text? And as you go through, that is a very, very, content-rich, theology-rich passage that has a lot to do with Jesus, his role as the Son, his role with how he gives the Spirit without measure, and what that means for us when it comes to how we experience and live out the good life. So that should get you there to the big idea of what's happening. So Ryan, how, how would we, we kind of put, put a, a bow on the big idea for this text? Well, I think the big idea starts in the original
1: context, and you basically Mm -hmm. just put the baseball on the tee for me to hit the home run. Um, But think thesis for sure, right? John, the author, is asking his readers to decide what they believe in, and very specifically in this context, in comparison uh, between what the Pharisees were saying and how the world and the good life existed in their world versus Mm. the good life that Jesus was presenting. And the question in the original reader's context is, do you believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, having life in his names. I think that that's where it really starts in the original context. What do you think that means today? That's good.
0: Yeah, I think that for sure as where it starts with the OG context, but then when you move it to today, there's a very direct, um, essentially, statement or comment that John makes about what is true, and he's saying that Jesus is better than any human system of success, especially in the context of eternal, you could add in quotes, the good life. Jesus is going to be better than any system when it comes to eternal life, the good life. And so the good life really as you know, we've been, we've been using this term and hopefully it grinds some of your guys's gears. Cause that's kind of why we chose it. Uh, because there's so much out there about what's the good life, like have your best life now. And you know, here's what you need to have success this is what your 401k needs to look like. Here's the Roth IRA contributions you need to make. Like you're going to have a good life at 65. If you do these things and Oh, here's the good life. Now your kids should look like this or do that or be in these activities. And there's so much that orbits around that idea. Um, and yet when you look, deeper into what is actually good, what's meaningful, what's purposeful, uh, there's a statement that Scripture has about that. And it's saying that, you know what, Jesus is actually where the good life starts, where the good life ends, where the good life finds its meaning, purpose, and value. And so when you think about how to apply this concept to our lives, a good question might be, uh, and maybe an uncomfortable question, might be at the end of your life, what would you need to have happened for you to be able to say that you lived a quote, good life. So at the end of your life, how would you define, I lived the good life? Um, and, and really let your, you know, your group kind of hang out here for a minute, reflect on this idea, um, and then give them a chance to really consider, yeah, what, what needs to happen for me to think my life was good at the end of the day? So Ryan, what about you? What are some of the things that you would say, you know, what, if this happened, that's the good life for me? You know, for
1: me... It's actually really about separating the words that I'm using and the things that I'm saying uh, versus the actual behaviors, activities, and actions that I display, so when I think about like at the end of my life, what would need to happen, you know it's making me pause and take a a real good stock of what my life actually f- reflects not mm. in the words that I say, yeah, but in everything my life displays mm. uh, and i and I look and I live in one of the the most affluent places in the world mm-hmm. uh, my you know house reflects certain things my my pursuits of my job reflect that maybe income matters to me stuff seems to matter to me and I have to stop and pause and say what is my life really reflecting now I don't think we should like, I'm I'm not going to go and put my house up for sale yeah, and I completely that. move out of the area and move to some other country that's lower socioeconomically. But it does make me want to pause and say, am I buying into the Pharisaic way hmm. of of living and, th- and thinking that what I do and the picture that I present and the house that I have and the job that I have matters more than the good life that Jesus is, is uh, offering me? I I just need to be honest and say I don't know if I can answer that honestly to say that I've like John the Baptist I don't know if I have reflected with my life that I must decrease and he must increase uh, and and I think it's it's a it's an important self reflection that I yeah. need to do and I think probably a lot of us
0: need to do absolutely yeah for me too man just thinking on that idea of like okay so what I want it to look like and then what what things comprise the good life for me at the end of the day and so um consider this my baby announcement on the podcast uh Lexi yeah. and I are having a baby we're very excited woo woo. um but as i you know as i look ahead i'm like man at the end of my life like i want to say that my kids love jesus or at the end of the life i want a porch with some rocking chairs like if i don't end up on a porch with rocking chairs in like my you know 70s and 80s reflecting with family around me i'm going to feel like i didn't live the you know quote unquote Good life, like I would love to have a house, right? You know, there's things that like kind of get there for me that I think of, and then they start to impact the decisions I make, right? So my telos, my end goal of life, might be okay, the porch with with the chairs, and so working backwards from that, there's decisions maybe that that are being made that are trying to get there. But then if I look at, um, you know, what I would say is a good life at the end and being able to look back and see, you know, the people I had an opportunity to impact, the the people who impacted me, the, the, the fruit, hopefully that multiplies from other people getting Jesus. Um, that's for sure important. But I think sometimes my, like, uh, my motive or my, like, driving factors for life are a little bit more in line with the rocking chair and the family than, like, the, uh, you know, the people getting Jesus. And so um, something that I think of sometimes is, like, when it comes to, like, belief, like what I believe in, what I believe in God, what I believe in a daily basis, the things that, um, that I believe have to happen or have to be in place are usually in tandem or linked to um, the outcome that I'm hoping for my life. And so practically speaking, what I might be believing in is having a kid. Or what yeah. I might be believing in is saving for a house, or what I might be believing in is making sure that I'm able to get those rocking chairs set up, and right. I, you know, I can still get out of a rocking chair when I'm in my, you know, 90s or whatever. And um, in reflecting on that, I think what can easily happen is that can become what I believe in in a day to day basis, but not um, believing in Jesus is enough. Um, is Jesus still enough? Is it still a good "quote unquote" good life if there is no porch or there are no rocking chairs? Like, or or I do have struggles in family, and and that question, grappling with that, wrestling with that, um, really challenges me to consider, like, man, what ways do I need to repent of the way I spend my time, my money, my talent, whatever, on achieving this version of the good life I'm aiming toward versus achieving what Jesus has for me. And Jesus very well may have a house with a porch and rocking chairs and family, right? Like it's not that these things are evil, but it's a question of, of, uh, of priority, a question of like what's primary in our lives. Um, and I think that that's where maybe a text like this would lead us is to really reflect on, Hey, what are we believing in for the good life? Yeah. How do we define it? And, uh, is Jesus really the center of that? Yeah. And may I give you just a, a personal
1: application of this too? Just remember mm. uh, the good life uh, when you're going through the 4 a.m. feedings. Ooh, it's
0: coming. It's, I, it's still I've good. Been told. Trust me. <laughs> you may
1: stuff. question it at that time. Yeah, but I'm uh, sure I
0: will. I'll I'll, uh, I'll come back to you, Ryan, when I'm uh, when I'm struggling.
1: Congrats! That's awesome. Thank you. We're excited. And I, and I just have to tell you as we wrap up here uh, I've loved being a part of uh this chapter. Uh, I'm going to step out and some other people are also coming yeah. in and doing this, but I just yeah, want to thank you for got, yeah. yeah, I want to thank you and I just I want to thank you on behalf of the church, Michael, for everything that you do uh, for our community. I have a a junior hire. I'm going to have a second junior hire, so go. please <laughs> pray for me. Um junior high girl on top of that, but the the amount that you pour into our kids but then it goes so much more than that into what you pour into our community so i just want to thank you for
0: everything that you do thanks ryan appreciate you too man and thanks for like you guys don't know this but ryan wrote like probably 80 percent of each one of these and so like ryan is such a gift in this way and 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 uh, i've learned a ton in the in the season working with you in the past few podcasts i hope you guys are encouraged as well that as you guys are are listening you guys are learning and, and growing and able to to lead well so uh, hopefully this is helpful yeah Yeah.
1: well you know what thanks for spending time with us our promise to you is that we are going to do our best to make your time valuable the leader uh, your leader's time excuse me if this helps you in any way let us know
0: yeah whether you're at the gym mowing the lawn driving or whatever it is that you do while you listen to podcasts 4am feedings anyone Uh, we hope that you feel equipped encouraged and ready to walk through the text with your group this week.
1: Hey, as always, do your own prep, get into the text, let the Spirit lead you, and know that you are the one who is sent this week into your group, into your family, into your pray watch communities, wherever God invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. Yeah, we love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.